Welcome aboard, whether you've got here by accident or on purpose. Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations. We are looking for individuals who are looking to create themselves rather than find themselves, to look at life and reality from another perspective and view life as an epic adventure. There is no admittance fee required, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. Join our conversation and get acquainted with our eclectic roster of guests. Expect the unexpected and get an assist into exploding into your life with full impact mindfulness and keeping in the social conscience of social distancing. We are connecting this evening via remote magic with a young lady, Marine, down in Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. Miss Marine, if you were abducted by aliens and taken to their planet and you had to give, say, who I am and what I'm about, what would you tell them? I would say I am a person who loves the environment and loves nature and um, very empathetic and the I'm a person who has few friends but close friends uh and i really value my relationships with with other people cool cool so could you tell us what area of your life are you in what are you participating in at the moment i am currently at texas a&m university as a graduate student uh, pursuing my doctoral degree in the interdisciplinary marine biology program oh boy that sounds uh that sounds daunting <laughs> well, you can only do a doctorate degree one one day at a time. Well, yes, and I don't know how many people are going to put themselves through that. However, uh, as time only moves in one direction, the current of time is strong. That's what sometimes we tell people when Marine is, oh my gosh, I don't want to spend three years doing this. I don't want to spend four years getting that. And then I asked them, well, do you plan to be alive in four years? And they say, well, of course. And I said, well, either you'll have this or you won't. Tell us, uh, tell us a bit about how you got here. I know you're right here and it's right now, but tell us about, tell us about Maureen. Tell us about uh, her life. Yeah. Um, so I was born on the East coast and, um, moved around a lot when I was really young. I don't remember much of it. Um, my dad was in the Navy, so we moved around quite a bit in the Northeast. And then um, when I was around four or five, my dad got a job out in Arizona. Um, and so we moved out West. And um, that's where I spent the majority of my childhood was in Tucson, Arizona. And the funny thing is, um, for a girl who's from the desert, I wound up wanting to become a marine biologist. And mm. this most likely stems from my dad's background uh, in the Navy and also growing up in Florida. And then additionally, my mom grew up in Maryland and spent uh, a lot of time out on the water as well. So I grew up hearing, you know, the stories of the sea and the romance of kind of uh, the ocean. Um, and then uh my high school year, I was able to take a class that was marine biology and oceanography. It was kind of a, a test run at the high school. And all it took was that one class and one very enthusiastic and outgoing teacher to mm. change my whole career path. 
Okay, so what you were you're saying is that you had some frequent flyer miles all over the United States, <laughs> and also yeah. that somebody uh, mentored you and provided the spark and this enthusiasm that you had for uh, marine biology. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I do know you, and we've talked about some things. So you also had some uh, some challenges to overcome also. And you can share with us whatever you feel comfortable with, Marie. Growing up, I went to public school, and I was more of an introvert for sure. Um, I actually was the kind of kid who befriended adults more than I did children my own age. Uh-huh. Um, and I think part of that had to do being a student with a disability, I would often have teacher's aides and go off for extra uh, class time to learn skills that I needed. But as such, I also wound up spending a lot more time around adult teachers, I I think, than most children. Um, So in addition to that, as well as um, being legally blind, and uh, I think when you're younger and you have things that make you stand out like a white cane or assistive technology, um, all, while it does help with academic learning, there are sometimes these unintended social consequences. There are sometimes unintended consequences that lead to social isolation when kids are very young. Mm. Um, so I feel like because you physically look different, um, depending on what assistive devices or technology you are using, um, it at times can hinder your ability to even just uh, communicate with your peers. And I feel like that in a sense followed me all the way throughout uh, high school. And I wasn't really one of those people who truly blossomed into my, my own self until I got to college. Ah. So tell us about social interactions. Tell us about those unintended consequences. And I'm sure there were people with the best of intentions and I'm sure there were people who, really didn't know how to approach you or talk to you about things. Yeah. So one would be just um, the technology itself. So nowadays technology is so integrated that basically everything for assistive technology, especially for low vision nowadays, uh, can all be on one device. But when I was a student um, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, we had a big thing called the closed circuit television. So imagine you're sitting at your desk and then you have an L table with a big TV on it so that you can put stuff in like, like a, like a paper, for example, on a tray underneath the TV and it will project that assignment onto the TV screen, but make it magnified. Right. So it's like a very scaled up version of your phone magnifier. Um, And although that would help with assignments, it actually in a sense led to, uh, physical like isolation because we had that L-shaped desk set up. And so as I went on throughout my schooling, what we determined was we had to place the desk in such a way that I could still sit at the group table and interact with my peers, be close to the front of the room so that I could uh, see the board, um, but also have access to my technology where it didn't impede the pathway of the classroom for other students or teachers um, walking through. And then as I got into high school, um, I think the social nuances became a lot more subtle. Um, I was one of the students who was involved in the special education department, but I didn't spend the majority of, uh, my time in, in say some of the 
assisted living classes, but I knew a lot of the students there. And so a lot of them were my friends, which is wonderful. Um, but for example, in our school district, history class was mandatory. And when we would do group assignments, my friends in the who were also in the special education department, even though we were good friends, would partner up with me for assignments. Um, and what would wind up happening is I would spend my whole class period kind of as a secondary teacher's aide, helping uh, my friends with their homework and then not getting mm -hmm. my homework done and going home mm -hmm. at night and being exhausted because I would wind up having this unintentional workload and then also not being able to interact with the rest of my peers, right? Um, so it's kind of, uh, and then we eventually had to wind up writing in what was called at the time an individual education plan that I was to work with my peers of like uh, an equal like cognitive level to help kind of prevent that unintentional social isolation. Mm. So when did you come to the point where you were able to step back and look at this situation rather than from it? Uh, however, sometimes in the 12-step world, Maureen, we have a saying that you can't read the label when you're inside the bottle. Uh, so when we're inside depression, we're inside anxiety, we're inside some of these awkward social situations, maybe even being isolated, uh, we can't step back and take a look. When did you, when did you get that view from above? I think maybe it started to really make sense freshman and sophomore year of high school as I started to participate in more activities. For example, I was in the school marching band and I uh, participated with my friends at church. And then I started to become aware that sometimes having friends is good, but it's not Sometimes you're too nice for your own good, if that makes sense. Your heart is too big. So let's um, let's stop right there. Your heart yeah. is too big and you're too nice. Say, say more about that, Marie. So I loved all of my friends. Um, but for example, in the history class where we were all together, um, I think I just naturally had that empathy to be group mates with anyone who wanted to be my group mate, even if for some reason, uh, their disability had to do with a different learning style than mine. Okay. Um, even at my own cost of getting like my own work done. Okay. So what we're hearing from you, Maureen, is that you, you gravitated toward the underdog and the marginalized and uh, felt that, well, if no one's going to help them, I certainly will. Yes, I think that's a, another way of saying it, definitely. Well, that's that's noble. That's that's a yeah. noble attribute. So Jesus, in the Bible, referenced 184 times in the New Testament the responsibility to help the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the falsely imprisoned, uh, the weary, the weak. Uh, do you think he meant it? Uh, <laughs> I think so, but I think when we when we... When we take into account helping others, we also need to do a self-check and say, where am I right now? Because you can't do good work if you're not taking care of yourself. Well, and that was the part that I hadn't really started to develop in high school. Uh, so quite often what I'll ask people, and I'll ask you this, you've uh, flown on planes many times, obviously. 
Uh, so when the flight attendant comes out and gives you the oxygen mask instructions, who do they tell you to put it on first, Maureen? Uh, they usually tell it to, isn't it, put it on yourself first? Before yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So in order to carry the message, you have to have one. And we can't work harder at somebody than they can themselves. We, mm-hmm. we can't work harder, let's say, at someone's recovery than they're willing to commit to themselves. We'll do our part. They have to do theirs. And I probably would have a hunch that uh, you learned some uh, tough lessons about that. Yeah, definitely learned through experience. And so I think when I went to college, I really took it as an opportunity to to redefine myself because nobody had to know that I was friends with all of the special education students, right? I was a girl from Arizona who was who moved to Rhode Island uh-huh. for her bachelor's. And so nobody knew me. It was a chance to start over and to redefine. And that also meant having a new way to redefine how I presented myself That's to right. others. Isn't that wonderful? Every stage of your life requires a, a new you. Um, Ella said to the Mad Hatter one day, Uh, I'm not the same person I was this morning. And the Mad Hatter said, I certainly hope not. Uh, So again, we're not looking to help people find themselves. We're helping people to create themselves. So what what was it like socially when you were in in grade school and uh, when you were in middle school and high school? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I know that children can be, well, they can be sometimes uh of a questionable character when they're dealing with mm-hmm. others. Um I I definitely did have some of those experiences. I think I can recall a couple times where when I was really young I wore glasses. Um so I got the stereotypical four eyes comments. Okay. Um, but I think perhaps one of the most unfortunate experiences that happened is um I would have my seeing eye cane, which is a, a long white uh, kind of stick. It looks like a long white trekking pole mm-hmm. uh, and is usually almost about the same height, comes up to about like the nose level okay. on a person. And so what you can do is you can stick that out in front of you and there's a special tap technique that you can use to detect objects oh, and okay. staircases and things. Um, and so I remember we were having something at after school care and they had a pinata for some reason. And the one of the employees thought it would be a good idea to use my seeing eye cane as a pinata stick. Oh boy. Yeah. And I was too young to know, like I, I didn't know. And so, um, she wound up, it actually wound up breaking the, the seeing eye cane, Ah. uh, you know, but you, you hear about that later on in life and you're like, Oh my gosh, like the kid, didn't have enough common sense to know that, but yeah. what an example for the other for the other kids okay. at the daycare, right? Okay. So, when in your life did you actually grasp and realize that you perceived the world differently than others? Um, probably about middle school, like sixth grade, seventh grade. Okay, when I really started to. To really figure out, I don't just have, like, it's not just my vision, but really how I see the world as, like, a whole person ah. compared to compared to my friends. Okay. So, I guess in jail, they'd call you an old head. 
uh, even at, <laughs> even even in sixth grade. Okay, uh, that's the. What does that mean? Well, it's it's you're able to take a, even though you're you may be younger in years, you're able to take a more mature uh, and attitude and outlook on things. It's mm-hmm. more of having a wise mind rather than having an emotional reactive mind. Mm-hmm. And then as far as high school, I think the most uh, socially isolating thing was everyone gets their driver's licenses at 16. Ah. And we happened to live in an area of town that didn't have uh, a lot of access to public transportation. So while I had a lot of friends gaining freedom, be it under, you know, learner's permits and and restrictions with cars, they were still gaining that convenience of being able to drive to school to and from every day mm. or uh, to not have their parents pick them up from marching band practice every time. Or I want to go to the movies with my friend, but I have to organize with my friend's parents who's going to drop off the friend group and who's going to pick up the friend group oh, okay. so that we share the ride sharing equally but even still in high school Hmm. okay and it also prevented me i remember telling my parents i really wanted to get like a summer job to start saving money Uh but because we didn't have public transportation we had the talk of all of the money i would spend taking a taxi to and from work wouldn't even be worth it in the end because i wouldn't even really make enough on like minimum wage for the the job experience to be worth it who were your allies back then, Maureen? Who were the people that you could uh, share with them? Here's how I think. Here's how I feel. Here's what my needs are. And they would listen to you. My parents, definitely. They became active in uh, learning about the blind and visually impaired community when I was very, very young. Um, to the point that uh, my mom went back to school and got her master's to be a special education teacher and mm. a teacher of the visually impaired. Okay. So she was one of my biggest allies uh, and my dad as well. And then I had a couple of teacher's aides who I, I really respected um, and would go to for advice. And then um, like I mentioned in high school, I had few friends, uh, but they were very close friends. And so we would often talk about these things. Cool. Huh? Um, and they would often have, because they also more often than not had a disability or they would be willing to listen to me, right? Like we, we could open up and have that discussion with one another. Okay. So how would you define a friend, Maureen? Ooh, I think a friend is a fluid definition. Um, and I think there's different stages of friendship uh, from the friends you trust with your life to their friends we know on a more casual basis. I, I would say like a friend is getting to know someone and the process of getting to know somebody takes time and it takes communication and it takes a variety of experiences And then also I find that with different people, you have a natural connectedness, um, especially with certain personalities. But I think when I think about my my truest friends, the ones who I would call in a heartbeat if something went wrong, um, often we share similar morals, similar faith backgrounds, um, and we've been able to have developing communication from like surface level conversations from observations and uh you know um 
just quick kind of like emo- like present tense conversations to like past, like learning about their past to sharing future aspirations. Um, but even going beyond that and going more into an emotional space and a personal space and sharing about our identities in a respectful and meaningful way is what I would call like a true, yes. a true friend. Yes. Well, most we, there, we have, we go through, there's a lot of temporary people in our lives, Maureen. And at sometimes if relationships is, are like a huge ocean, uh, there are many currents that flow concurrently. However, without any animosity or ill will, the currents just flow apart. Uh, and there's acquaintances that, what I call Marine friends of commonality. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're on the marching band and you're, you know, you have that commonality. However, a lot of times when the marching band season ends or you're no longer in it, then although you have no will, and again, ill will or animosity, it's, uh, it's just, you're just, the your currents aren't flowing together. So true friends, uh, Marine, they share in your joy and they share in your sorrow. And quite often what I'll ask people, and I'll ask you this question also, who in your life do you trust so much that if you, and if they said fall, that you'd fall without hesitation as you trust them that much? Can I pick more than one person? You can. You can pick many. <laughs> oh my gosh. I hope you have a lot of them. Yeah. Um, you can give well, their first names. And my yeah. brother. Um, I have several friends from high school, particularly uh, those that um, were part of my my faith group uh, and my my youth group growing up. Uh, we still keep in touch. Um, I also have a lot of friends from my marine biology program, and again from uh, my faith group, and a few from my my marching band, uh, where we wound up being roommates. Uh, consecutive years of college who I would trust uh and then my master's program in Washington if you go through graduate exams together uh for a whole week over spring break and you're forced to stay in the, you're, you're not forced to stay in the biology department but they did it over spring break and we were taking our exams together under high stress and uh I'll tell you what, nothing breeds friendship like the commonality of uh, all of us suffering through something and just having that mutual <laughs> understanding of how difficult the exam was. Oh, um, and it was, if we all made it through that, like we're all lifelong friends. Well, uh, in the 12-step world, we say that it's our singleness of purpose that binds us together. Uh, mm-hmm. If everything were taken away from you, Maureen, money, health, whatever – Who'd be standing with you at the end? Who would never leave you? Oh, gosh. I can think of a few individuals right off the top of my head. Okay. Um, So, again, my mom and my dad um, from high school, my friends, Kristen, JC, and I still still say the entire youth group. Uh Uh-huh. I love all of them. Um. From university, from my my college days, um, Mary G, uh, MC, Nate, AJ, like I could keep naming names, but I'm I think I've been very fortunate to have fostered a lot of of friendships. So, what does that say about you? What does that say about you as a person? I think I I really value the time I have and I've learned, especially through 
my experiences in high school, I wasn't one to put up with shallow friendships anymore. I just didn't want to have to deal with drama and toxic emotions and behavior in my life. And so I think I became more self-aware of what I wanted and also how that would impact other people. Well, you and I talked about, uh, during our phone conversation, about young ladies begin to lose their self-concept and self-esteem around the age of nine. And there's so many people, younger people and even older people, who take their own self-worth as how others perceive them. And they may try to ingratiate themselves or insert themselves in a particular group simply because they think it'll make them be cool or make them feel better about themselves. What do you, what, mm-hmm. what would you have to say to young ladies in a, in that situation that feel out of place, feel like they don't fit in and, but they're trying desperately to. I would say keep looking. Um, it doesn't always happen the first time. And like you said, relationships come and go. And sometimes you try to find a group and it doesn't fit. I've had that happen. Uh, I think the important thing is uh, give the people a chance. Maybe is it something they're doing that's making you uncomfortable? Do you think the other part of this too, though, is also observing your own behavior within the group? Um, Because I think sometimes, unfortunately, whether we, we perceive it or not, at times we do have habits that cause us uh, that that can be perceived or actually be perhaps not favorable for friendships. Right. So learning how to be social with others. Well, when we Um, do that inventory, we have to ask ourselves, what part did I play in this? What part mm -hmm. did I play in this? So sometimes what I'll have ask young ladies in particular, uh, rather than, uh, ask them what they have to offer, which unfortunately a lot of uh, young ladies are taught to do. I'm more interested in what are the requirements it takes to be with you. I have to have, yeah. them, I have them make those lists. So what are, what are the requirements it takes to be a friend of Marines? Okay. First off, you have to be, even if you don't own pets, you have to appreciate animals and be kind to animals. Mm. Um, Preferably uh, kind to your own body. So tell me, what, um, tell me, explain that, that, explain like that a little exercise, bit. Exercise, taking care of like your body through exercise, through eating well. Um, I like uh, monitoring alcohol consumption, or uh, if if some, you live somewhere where recreational drug use is approved, again, everything in in moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me in particular one of the big turnoffs is not having self-awareness in particular with, um, with alcohol. Um, and that's from like my, my childhood. Um, okay. my, my dad has struggled with alcoholism. And so for me, um, growing up and seeing that that's just something that I, I don't want to have in my life. Oh. Um, if I don't, if I don't need to, you know, well, that's a choice. Everything's a choice. So sometimes when we ask people uh, if they don't know what to do, sometimes I'll say to them, well, I have a, I have a strong hunch that you know what not to do. Mm-hmm. So it's not always what should I do. There's a lot of things that we know what not to do, Maureen. 
what not to mm-hmm. do. Well, it sounds like you uh, you took all these experiences and these frames of references and actually worked those out for a discipline and a lifestyle of your own. What are, what are, oh, and I must say uh, a good sense of humor is also <laughs> very important. Okay. To be a little playful. Yeah, my dad. I grew up with a dad who loved using puns, and uh-huh. so I have adopted that tradition. So you must be able to understand sarcasm and uh, maybe even give it back every now and again. <laughs> okay, so not yeah. not only can you dish it out, you have to be able to to to, to accept it also. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what are some of the things you like to do? What gives some joy to Marine's life? Oh, um, I play a musical instrument. So I play the trombone. And um, before the pandemic, I was active in the university symphonic band as well as a local community orchestra. Hmm. You're a renaissance girl. Yeah, I really like music because it's a completely different part of my brain. And if I'm really into the score or the piece that you're playing, you, it's a, it's a full body experience and mind experience. You're not only just, you're not just playing notes on a page. You're listening to yourself. You're listening to your other section members. How are you fitting into the breast of the brass section? What are the violins doing over there? Oh, look, the clarinet has the melody. And then four measures later, uh, the clarinet goes to, you know, the harmony and the, the flutes get the melody. So if you're, if you're really, into music. I love it because it, it kind of provides me a little bit of an escape from reality um, because it takes my whole mind and body to be immersed in it if I'm truly enjoying myself. Well, it sounds like you can uh, correlate uh, music with kind of the sympathy, excuse me, the symphony of life, how all the parts fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also sang in the choir in high uh in the church choir in high school and during my undergraduate so that was not only a way for me to serve in my church but it also uh just provided me again another way to connect with people and to have a way of uh, self-expression i think we'd probably have a quicker interview if we you listed the things you didn't do um <laughs> <laughs> Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.